Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 5 of Gaming by Design. Over halfway now. Hooray! Hey, this is a podcast where we... I don't even know what this podcast is. But this is a podcast where we dissect and discuss various game mechanics and try and be, I guess, entertaining, witty. But most of all, we hope to be quite informative. I think if we manage one of those three, then we're doing quite well. Uh, okay, so my name's Colin. Uh, the other voice that you heard was Richard. Hello, everybody. And with my arrogant, cocky introduction last week, which wasn't an introduction, I forgot to say the most important thing, which is these opinions are our own and not those of our employers, either past, present, or future. Very true. Very that much my opinions. That ought to get us off the hook. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's been another busy few weeks for us, three weeks. It is, a, it is busy in the world of game development. So we've kind of... Um, We've kind of been a bit lax, but uh, hopefully, I think we've got a good podcast this week. Richard didn't say sure. I've got to kind of sell him on it as we go along. I well, I've only ha- spent literally four minutes for thinking about this subject. So you say this every week. Yeah, but it's it's usually more than four minutes. Okay, so I'm going to introduce it because um, I know more about it. We're going to be looking today at look versus skill in gameplay mechanics, and the easiest way to describe this is by drawing parallels to board games. Now, if I think about um, one of the first board games that you'll ever play as a child is Snakes and Ladders. I never actually played Snakes and Ladders as a child. <laughs> I didn't have that traditional upbringing. So the, the, the point of Snakes and Ladders is that it's completely based on the roll of the dice. There's no other input except for the dice input. This is a game that is purely 100% luck. There's no skill to it whatsoever. And on the other end of the spectrum are games like Chess and Go, which are completely based on skill. There's no element of luck whatsoever. Yes. Um, and then th- there's a whole multitude of games in between. So if I take Scrabble, for example, there's a game which is mostly skill-based, but you're also dependent on the look of what tiles you get, what tiles the other persons get, what like, and and things like this. So I guess there's always a fine balance between how much look and how much skill. There there always kind of there's always a balance between those two when you're designing your gameplay mechanics. Um, yeah, definitely. It's it's interesting in the world of board games because um, you talk about uh, Snakes and Ladders, and that is indeed an entirely skillless, luck-based game, yet it is quite fun. I mean, it's on a basic level, but it is pretty fun. Well, yeah, I never said at any point that luck, uh, luck is related to the, the quality or funness of a game. Well, that's because I think in terms of game development, um, to an extent, I would say that luck... Um, as one of your primary gameplay mechanisms is probably frowned upon. I mean, generally, if a game was relying on luck for its gameplay, you would have a tendency to look at it as bad design. I'm quite interested in the difference between board games and video games in that sense. Okay, well, first of all, how about we give an example? And I, the, the, the example that I first sprung to my mind is a couple of Nintendo franchises. Okay. So there's two Nintendo franchises that I've played over most of the lifetime, and they are Mario Kart and Mario Party, both of which are franchises that I enjoy. But if you chart the progression of these games, they started off very, very skill-based. They, um, you know, the, the best driver normally won in Mario Kart, and the best gamer in the general sense normally won Mario Party. Yes. Very early on in the franchise. But as Nintendo have got older, they've decided that this is not, Right, they want to. Well, they say they want to make the more the game more fun, but we can talk about this later. Um, they've made luck a bigger element in their games, and now 
the weapons and the way that the weapons are delivered out in Mario Kart means that the game is more uh, random in a sense. The best driver doesn't always win. And in Mario Party, they've they've developed games which are mini games which are purely based on luck and games in which you can steal stars from the other players, thus making the game easily flippable. Okay, well, uh, yeah, let's hear some let's hear some genuine examples then. Uh, let's have one example per game. Of what? Of, well, this supposed move towards luck, um, away from skill. In the Nintendo franchises? Yes, yes. So in Mario Kart, I guess the the best example is the blue shell that was introduced in the GameCube version. Ah, yes, the blue shell. Yeah. And so this is a weapon that you that any... So say there's... I think there's normally eight races in Mario Kart. And if you're in first place, any of the seven players could randomly pick up a blue shell which is a weapon that automatically locks onto the player in first place and knocks them off the road, thus setting them back a few seconds. And more importantly, the blue shell is you can't like you can't get out the way of it. It will hit you 100% of the time. Yes. So this is an example of something where Nintendo have introduced this mechanic to make the game more even. The best race, I guess, at the front, then he'll get hit with blue shells and he'll end up maybe second, third. Yeah, it's it's interesting because the theory of the mechanic, you know, you can understand. It's obvious. Um, we want to give people that aren't too good an opportunity to feel more involved. Um, but yeah, I think it backfires terribly because it is utterly unfair. And I don't know anybody that is um, I've ever spoken to about the blue shell mechanic in Marikart who doesn't talk of it in disdained, hushed voices. Um, it's interesting because I think in general... Um, fairness is quite an important thing in games, especially in a multiplayer competitive environment. Um, and yeah, it's odd to see that in the name of, I guess, supposedly trying to make the experience more inclusive, they've in fact made the experience a lot less fun. Yeah, it, it is a mechanic that, as you say, it is very unfair. It is likely to cause arguments. And Nintendo have gone on the record and defending this, defended this quite a few times. They've said that, you know, they're the whole point of the Mario Kart games is the involvement and to make everyone possibly be a winner. Surely that's quite a noble thing, in a noble idea in game design. Um, yeah, I think um, making a game inclusive and have the people, all the people that are involved can feel involved is very important. It's very important in multiplayer games because you don't want to get into a situation which... Um, a few people might occasionally uh, accuse maybe the Call of Duty games get into where in a multiplayer environment you can end up faced off against people so much more powerful than you that you don't really have any hope of contributing. All you can do is just die like a man over and over again. And of course Call of Duty does, is, is designed very well. It, it, it has all sorts of matchmaking tools and other things to get around this. Um, and it more tellingly does interesting things about in fact rewarding your failure with kind of you know dummy awards. Um so in general, yeah, it's a good idea to try and do this. I think the blue shell fails simply because it's an annoying mechanic. It's. I was thinking about this earlier, and I thought that maybe they could make it more kind of a more enjoyable feature if they are going to embrace the feature continually. Mm-hmm. Maybe they should make it so that when you were attacked by a blue shell, the person in position one had the choice to dodge left or right and the shell would either go left or right, thus at least giving the player one a 50% chance. Yeah, I think, um, am I correct to thinking that if the blue shell is fired, it just works, and there's no element of skill behind the law? At the moment, yeah. 
yeah, at the moment it hits you 100% of the time. I think it, it's maybe possible to glitch it so it doesn't hit you. Yeah, I that, mean, that isn't within the confines of the game. Yeah, certainly, I think the obvious fix is you're going to choose a mechanic like that, then it should be presented as a challenge to the guy that's in the lead. They should have an opportunity to, um, yeah, avoid it. I think it was done quite well um, in Split Second, um, you know, the, uh, the kind of destruction based racing game that was released um, uh, quite recently, in which you could destroy stuff to basically um, ruin your opponent. I mean, it's equivalent of the blue shell is dropping a commercial airliner on them. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the AAA budget equivalent of a blue shell. Um, and that works better because it's not like if I press the button labelled drop an airliner on you, you're definitely fucked because they're dropping an airliner on you. It's still, you know, it's all skill-based. You can still avoid that. You can still stop it, do something about it. Um, a player... A player will feel powerless if they feel that they are entirely beholden to the luck of somebody else. Uh, and I think that's where the blue shell mechanic falls down. Yeah, it's interesting. The way you, the way you said split second then, you can still get around it, these obstacles if you are a good driver. It's the same as I was stating earlier in Scrabble. You could get terrible titles, but the better yes. Scrabble player you are, then the less it will affect you. Yeah, I think um, players can make good use of a bad lot. Um, I mean, that's, yeah, that's something... I can't think of any specific examples off the top of my head. But the idea that, yeah, you give players uh, these resources and they may end up with good ones, they may end up with bad ones, but a tactical player having the ability to make something of what they've got is, in the end, a much more interesting mechanic than just allowing a player who is lucky to basically unilaterally decide who they want to fuck over. And the other thing that happens in Mario Kart is that you, when you're in second or lower place, you only get get weapons that are kind of aggressive, uh, offensive weapons. Whereas okay. when you're in first, you only get defensive weapons. Really? It, yeah, the weapon allocation is no longer random. Um, but is that because no uh, offensive weapons fire backwards? Uh, yes, that is correct. So if you're in first place, you tend to get... Um, banana skins, a yeah. lot of them. But if you're in last place, you you tend to get the the speed boosts and the red shells and the green shells. Okay. Whereas in a game like um, Wipeout, the the weapon the weapon allocation is always random. It doesn't matter where you are. Like it's possible to pick up Quake, which can only affect people in front of you, even though you're in first place. Well, I think it's a clear example that Nintendo's approach to uh, game design. It is all about that kind of family inclusive sort of thing. Um, there's a Wipeout, which is definitely a lot more hardcore. I mean, I suspect it has all sorts of like online leaderboards, tournaments, charts, the sort of thing where players would, ref- would get massively angry in a kind of internet frothing at the mouth sort of way if they thought that the mechanics were weighted, you know, to help people that are doing worse. Um, if they thought yeah, it wasn't luck, in fact, but it, it was definitely skewed to help people that are losing. Marikart obviously just doesn't look at things in that way. Um, Marikart looks at things in terms of, I want everyone to have fun in a lovely world where everyone is lovely and friends. Um, and I think in a lot of ways that can be one of Nintendo's key strengths as designers is that they do look at things in terms of family fun. It's what makes the Wii so successful. I think Mario Kart may partially fail simply because it's, it, tra- it attracts a surprisingly hardcore grown adult audience to what is essentially a game for children. And while little kids won't really think about it, uh, a grown adult will be incredibly angry. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the audience is a little bit confused, I guess. Maybe you should be playing some grown-up games and not playing Mario Kart so much. Maybe you, didn't, maybe you should think about that. 
But the thing is, it is, I guess, with this heavily luck-based mechanic, it does help um, families play together. Adults can play against their children. Yeah, I mean, the idea, of course, if you're playing with your family and your old granny, bless your old granny, she's old, she's dying, um, she's in last place. You want to give her a chance. I mean, if she's going to die soon, she should at least get, as a final wish some sort of success in Mario Kart. So you're going to wait those mechanics because it's a game which I guess Nintendo foresee being played by a wide spectrum of people. Uh, And you want to give them all a chance. Good point. But Mario Mario Kart still obviously requires a lot of skill. I mean, you still need to be able to manage your kart. Mario Party, on the other hand... All right, yes, I know your feelings on Mario Party, but... Mario Party, on the other hand, which is a board game which uh, plays very much like a board game in the real world. But... There's also mini games involved, micro games. Okay. Um, some of the mini games, the the whole mechanic is essentially rolling a dice. It is in, in entirely random. Yeah. Where's the excitement? Where's the where's the gameness? Where's the fun? But where's the excitement and gameness in a board game? I mean, you say Mario Party is the video game equivalent of a board game. Well, yeah, but it's the video game equivalent of a board game. Mario Party Three, which I seem to remember was the best one of them all. Although, I don't think I've played them after 5. So, the the franchise went downhill pretty quick. Okay. Um, like, Mario Party 3, most of them were skill-based games. And that's where the fun was. So, the obviously, the rolling, the going around the board isn't really that exciting. But when it breaks into the mini-games, it's really exciting. But I think by around Mario Party 5, it had already gone into these look-based games. So, the four of you all go into a game, and then the game is you hitting a block that is essentially acting like a dice. Okay, lovely. I don't. So in Mario Kart, I can see why the look is there, because you know they're trying to make it even, but in Mario Party, they've gone so far that the game is no longer fun. There's, there's, there's no skill whatsoever. It Explain is to me about the hitting of the block that's a dice. I don't quite understand what, how, what, how that's a luck mechanic. I don't even understand what that means. Do you just punch a dice? Yeah, you punch your dice. So the four of you stand in a room and you punch a dice. I seem to remember this. Now, I might be mistaken, but I s- there, there are certainly games that might, that are very thinly veiled, essentially dice-stopping I mean, That's games. okay. I, I don't think we've really developed a reputation as a particularly well-researched podcast, so that's fine. So they've taken it so far and they want people it, it to be so inclusive of everyone that the, the game is just... The game could play itself. Okay. All you're doing is hitting dices the whole way through the game. Um, I guess that's maybe as the series moved on. It, yeah, it's moving more towards this um, family-friendly idea. Um, but it does sound like it is in keeping with a board game, which is what it was. I mean, are you are you just more angry from the fact of seeing it transition to a board game? I mean, if if Mario Party had always been like this from the beginning, would you have this same feeling? No, I, I think that a game that is entirely based on luck is not a very exciting game to play. I don't like Snakes and Ladders. I think it's a completely pointless waste of time because all you're doing is rolling dice. You might as well play a game who can roll six sixes in a row. It's just as exciting. Um, Okay, well, I mean, I I have some respect for Snakes and Ladders as a kind of, as almost the simple primordial ooze from which all structured games risen. Um, Okay, it's simplistic. Yes. Um... But I'm not sure if uh, Mario Party is doing a bad job by emulating the board games that it is that it is like. Well, it's emulating Snakes and Ladders. I think for a video game to be purely based on luck, it doesn't really 
give very great experience. At so Mario, I, Mario Kart has some basis in skill. You still need to ride the the craft. Okay, so to get to kind of the crux of the issue, what's the difference? Why is in board games acceptable for, um, as you said in the introduction, a whole huge swathe of board games? Most board games have quite a heavy luck-based mechanic. Why is that okay in the world of board games? But in the world of video games, you feel it's not. I guess you expect more. I mean, I was, I was thinking earlier, another game, board game based lower down on the, the skill level is uh, Yahtzee, okay. which is a game that is essentially you rolling dice. And yeah, I'm not a big o- fan of Yahtzee. The only skill comes in you choosing what your dice represent on your paper sheet. But I, I don't know why that's a compelling game. I, I personally don't find it that exciting. But the crux of the matter that I'm trying to make is that if luck is too heavily involved in your gameplay mechanics in video games explicitly, it doesn't really make for a good video game. I think video games have always been based around the twitchiness and the high skill level of players. Okay. And that once you involve too much luck, I think video games lose the the joy, their essence. Okay. Um, a counterpoint to your point. Almost all RPGs. Um, so, okay, um, let's look at the, it's, it's an example I like to bring up because I love it, um, Baldur's Gate, or any Final Fantasy for whatever hemisphere preference you have. Um, these are among the most well-respected, well-loved games in the world, um, Baldur, and Baldur's Gate especially, um, which is, a, I have more love for the series, I can kind of talk about it in more detail, um, that has, that has a skill-based mechanic to excel, I mean, you've got a set of, um, spells, weapons, there's, there's a degree of tactics. If a skill comes from knowing the strengths and weaknesses of your party, knowing how to arrange them, how to, new, how to know how to use those skills. And because Baldur's Gate is based on Dungeons & Dragons um, tabletop board game rules, it is entirely, um, when you get down to it, luck-based. Baldur's Gate uses, a, um, uses invisible dice rolls to decide everything. Um, the scrolling information bar at the bottom of the screen does in fact, it goes too far for most people to bother to read, but it does explicitly state what the results of each dice roll have been, how that's adding together with other things like your armor class and all this bullshit, and how that results in whether the enemy dies or not. Um, so in one level, Baldur's Gate is entirely luck-based, yet I would argue that it's one of the best games that has ever been made. Okay, so I don't play a lot of RPGs, and, uh, and, and again, RPG, might <laughs> that could be a podcast in itself. Yes. For me. Um, so I, I, I guess I don't know too much about it, but I mean, does it make a compelling game play experience? I mean, if you die because of the roll of a dice, is that is that satisfying? Do you feel as a player that you've understood why that has happened? I think it's interesting, and definitely um, RPGs, very hardcore RPGs of this nature, are very much an acquired taste. There's certainly a case of when it comes down to it, um, and you're both like a minimum health, and it's down to one last roll of a dice. You literally can die because of, the, and you can't even see the fucking dice because it's a video game. You don't even it doesn't even give you that. Um, it's true um, that can be annoying, but you tend not to think about it. I think it's it's heavily based in luck, but that's because of the fun comes from a different place. It's all about knowing there's an element of luck, but it's also about using strategy and knowing that, sure, once it comes down to it, um, you're kind of trying to fight odds. You know that if you I just stab someone with a sword, then the chances of me hitting them are... Eh. But I know if I get an extra a sword of an e- plus two power of stabbing and, I'm, and I've just drunk a potion of greater stabbing and a, a mage's caster, he's really good at stabbing buff on me. I'm, okay. It's kind of thinking of multipliers and how to fight odds. So 
It's almost luck is intrinsic and it's about beating luck and knowing how to work with the luck. So, in, so are you being told in a way how the how the dice is going to be rolled? Have you been told the rules and what is more and less? Well, likely? there's there's a whole other argument which again could be a whole podcast itself about how RPGs, the more hardcore ones, don't really explain very well a lot of the mechanics. But you are vaguely aware, um, playing your average Dungeons and Dragons based RPG, that. Um, there is a dice roll which determines things, and what happens is affected by the armor class of the guy you're trying to hit. It's affected by the strength of your sword, and these statistics are listed against the things you're fighting and the things you're fighting with. So even though the roll of the dice you can't know in advance, what you know about is that the core of these kind of tabletop games is knowing when it comes down to luck, but it's about having the correct tools and strategy for the job to beat those odds. Basically. Okay, so that's quite interesting. So it is completely look-based at its very simplistic core. But they add skill around it, and the skill is sort of telling you how the dice might roll. The skill is about trying, is knowing the sort of base level. You've got pure luck, and it's knowing how to play the game properly to actually skew the odds in your favour. So it doesn't come down to pure luck. It comes down... To, well, it's still luck, but it's luck that's weighed in your favour because you know how to play the game. So it's not really like Snakes and Ladders. Basically, it's like Snakes and Ladders where you're told that if you roll underhand, you might get more fives and sixes. Um, definitely. I mean, it's it would be like Snakes and Ladders if one of the people, if you were able to pick up suits of armour or potions on the way and you knew that at a particular point when you were about to get a snake and be forced to go back down the board, if I could drink the potion I have and I can counteract that effect. So it's about what, it's about knowing how to counteract the luck. Okay, so, I mean, I wouldn't say that's entirely luck-based. It's, 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 oh, no, it's no, certainly a lot better than the Mario Party minigames. Than, and do they still make Mario Party? I don't know. I've not seen Mario Party in some time. I would have thought with the Wii and the Wii, the way the Wii is going, that it would just all be editions of Mario Party. That is true. How odd. So I, I maybe maybe they got they ran out of ways to veil the dice rolling game. Maybe after you just like kicked a dice, punched a dice, dangled a dice off a tree. They've but the thing is, a lot of those were completely look based. It was rolling dice, but with RPGs, you described them. It's it's interesting. Yeah, it is look based, but there are rules around it. You know, like the only example I can think of is when I played Pokemon Red and Blue is that you were given moves. You knew how many hit points it would take off, but you were also told how many times it might miss. Yes. And you were aware of this. I I seem to remember it would be like, this might miss one time out of every ten. Okay. And so it's it's the same thing as the RPGs of you described them, is that essentially what's going on in the background of that miss mechanic is that someone's rolling a dice somewhere. Yes. uh, A ten-sided dice. And... um, but you're aware of this, and so you can decide as a player whether or not to use that move? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, certainly they're not entirely luck-based. There's a heavy degree of strategy, which I think is important point to get across. But I think the RPGs prove that luck as a prime mechanic in game is not necessarily a failure in game design um, because there is so much strategy about working out how to skew the luck. And that's kind of what RPGs are all about. Okay. So you can have luck as a mechanic, but you've got to let the user know well, how yeah, the mechanic is working. Pure luck, obviously. Uh, well, not maybe not obviously, but pure luck in general, I think, doesn't really make for a compelling user experience. The player's not involved in that, because when it comes down to it, games are about letting a player impact their world, whether that world is a Pac-Man arena or the world of Baldur's Gate or 
the Vietnam War. It's, you know, that's what it's about. So, yeah, pure luck, because you don't feel involved, you don't feel you can change it. But luck and understanding luck and knowing how to skew the luck is, in fact, a very powerful mechanic, as RPGs have shown. Um, What the shift in RPGs recently has been is that while this luck and this invisible dice rolling is very much a part of it, modern RPGs, as an effort to kind of reach a wider audience, have kind of... um, What's the word? They've kind of hidden those mechanics a lot. They've they've, um, visually representing them in a more compelling way. So while the original Dragon Age is heavy on the kind of info bar at the bottom saying, you hit 7 plus armor class 8 equals 50 maximum damage, Dragon Age 2 is all about the you hammering X and cool shit happening and blood flying everywhere and flurry effects and spells and all this um, crazy shit. Um... And it's about hiding that. But it's all still going on under the hood. Um, it's, a, it's par and parcel of RPGs. It's the extent to which you let the player be aware of it is kind of, all our, is kind of how RPGs are these days. It's, it's very much reflective of the general shift in games at the moment of moving away from showing the, the raw mechanics underneath. And yes. just, I mean, we spoke about it before, but the UI in Dead Space, for example. Oh, yes. Which is really neat, playing Dead Space 2 at the moment. Quite fun. Yeah, I mean, it's a good UI, but it's not relevant to this conversation. But No. So, um, if I can change tack slightly, you were talking about being able to skew the look there. Yes, I was. Please I change was, tack. Uh, yeah, if you don't mind. I was playing Call of Duty Black Ops just a few hours ago. <laughs> and it was the... I guess, is it infamous? I don't know. I haven't read anything on Black Ops. I'm very behind on this. But I was playing uh, what I refer to as infamous section of trying to go down a hill and then take another hill. I think the Vietnam hill section isn't really infamous in any way. I think the strange and inconsistent use of the barrels is kind of infamous. Are the are the stairs of the, the Reichstag at the end of World at War infamous, or is that just between us two? I don't know if the, st- if the stairs... I, I feel that the stairs of the Reichstag at the end of World at War should be infamous. I feel like if you were going to do a, like a video game design course, you should be shown that level and just say, look how badly respawning can break a great sequence in a game. Anyway, it's, it's the sequence that is in all Call of Duty games, the sequence where there's infinite spawning. And you go up or down a hill. Though I believe, of course, in this Black Ops, you do both go up, down, and then up a hill, both neatly covering the entire thing in one go. Very smart. So the the thing is that I, I died quite a lot on this, and so I got quite frustrated and just started running forward in an attempt to game the game, break the UI, break the AI and just yes. get past it. And and I, that's how I did it in the end. I mean, I, it took a while to get down the hill, but when I went up the hill, I just ran past everyone until I got to a checkpoint and it marked. This, my, my question is, and you know, feel free to say no, is that is this an example of, of looking in gameplay mechanics, the ability to kind of game the AI? Um, I don't think that's a really an example of luck. Um, I, I think that it can be sometimes an example of bad game design. Not that Black Ops is bad game design in general, but when the um, when you know the, the 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 flags or you know the little scripted events that trigger ways of respawning to start and stop are so apparent to the player that you actually game the game by basically trying to run towards these invisible checkpoints because you know what they will do. I mean, that's the big problem with the Reichstag step sequence is the respawning becomes so over the top that your only real reaction is to game it by running up the stairs into gunfire because you know if I make it to that step, the respawning, the, the Nazi spawn point will jump back. 
But I don't think it's really luck in that. My my point is that much like emergent gameplay, you're sort of getting emergent luck in your gameplay mechanics by by building your spawn points such that they're triggered like that. Are you not already inviting luck in? If if the enemies didn't respawn and there were just a lot of them, for example, that would be purely okay. skill based. You'd have to take them all out. But by by adding this spawning and the player game being able to game the system, you you're sort of adding luck. Okay, I mean, yeah. Um, I'm not. I'm still not sure that I'm with you on the whole thing about the, about avoiding the respawning by triggering, like you know, getting past the trigger points. But I'll definitely um, go with you on the point that you could look at respawning as elements of luck to games because it removes your ability to um, strategically assess a situation. I think, in fact, in the last um, last time's episode when we were talking about difficulty, I think I mentioned Dragon Age Two, and their respawning waves of enemies undermined its skill-based approach because you couldn't look at you know these are the spells i've got these are the items i've got these are the enemies there are how do i use what i've got to beat them that skill is undermined by the fact that you don't know how many waves these enemies are going to be so yeah in black ops's case there's a high element of luck because you can think you've cleared out a foxhole of enemies run up there and based basically on mathematical variables somewhere in there someone could have just reappeared and they could have reappeared behind you they could have reappeared anywhere um, so respawning does add luck because yeah, it, it removes your ability to accurately assess a situation. So, so yeah, you you are reliant on on luck, the, the, the AI. The uh, to an extent, yes, but but um, to what extent could you say that that's an accurate representation of war? Go, Colin. That was heavy. Well, the thing is, and this is what annoys me about spawning, and we must get back on the luck soon, is that why don't they all just stand behind the hill? group together and say, hey, lads, rather than going in, in groups of three and four, how about all five million of us just go over the hill together and swamp them? You do wonder. You do wonder if, like, when uh, the Nazis have the ability to infinitely respawn um, reinforcements when an alarm goes off in the, some of the early Medal of Honor games, why don't they just bring all of the reinforcements? Because that's about 50,000 guys and you will lose. Um, it's odd they keep just arriving one at a time, really. It's amazing that they lost the war considering they can respawn humans at will. Okay, luck. Um, so, yeah, I think I think what this kind of respawning thing, this, this luck thing, um, is interesting because it shows that there's a kind of general shift in, and this is a very general comment off the top of the head, so it's not exactly, um, it's not exactly well researched, but generally I feel that FPSs are moving away from skill, um, to this kind of more luck-based approach. Um, so it's all about, you know, the big Hollywood production values. The things like, yeah, the Call of Duty and the home front uh, approaches to gaming have kind of become the norm, where skill and demanding skill of the player is not so key as is blind luck and spectacle. Um, there was tellingly a section in Black Ops when I played it, um, where, and I've got this anecdote exactly right in my head, but I believe that there's these guards who can run off to set an alarm off um, if you if you leave them, you see them run over a hill. They go, an alarm goes off. You think, fine, something. I'll reload that checkpoint and get those fuckers. So you reload the checkpoint. You shoot them with your explosive crossbow, as was handed out regularly to GIs in the sixties. Um, the guy blows up. Wait a few seconds. The alarm goes off anyway. Um, the user skill and their ability to actually prevent that situation from occurring is not factored in. There is a scripted plan of Hollywood excitement that is, an alarm's going to go off, and then a helicopter's going to arrive, and it's going to be awesome. The player has not been allowed to use their skill to prevent that from happening. I think that's an interesting shift in uh, kind of action games. 
yeah, there was a there was a section today, and I, I don't really know if it relates to skill, but you you saw me do this where I had to get into a jeep and trigger a an on rails cutscene. That is an exciting section. But I decided to skip the jeep, walk forward, take out a few guys first, then get in the jeep. But because I went past a certain point, I was hit with instant death. Yes, I think I think we're definitely moving now totally away from discussing skill and luck in games and just bemoaning the state, the overscripted state of um, the modern action game. Um, so, so we uh, we should definitely um, uh, get back on topic. Um, so yeah, um, so I was thinking um, it's kind of a, l- a last interesting point that I have is examples of where genuine luck, total luck, nothing else to it in a game can be good uh, would be um, F0X. Okay, uh, yeah, I played this. I, I don't remember luck being a heavy element in the game. In F0X, when you die, you get a roulette wheel to kill other people. Wait a minute. This was not in the GameCube version. No, no, this because you played F0GC or F0AC. Probably GC, that makes more sense. Um, I don't know what F0GC did because I never played it. Um, uh, Super Smash Brothers was enough Captain Falcon for me. Um, F0X on the N64, which is a very, very, very good game, um, has this thing. So you die because uh, you just fell off the track so many times they just can't respawn you anymore. And you're kind of forced to watch the other people in other split-screen windows have a great time about you. But to make that player feel involved, they are given a roulette wheel that spins around and shows the faces of the other people in the race. Um, if you can line up a certain amount of them, you can just blow up other people that are still racing while they are racing. Hang on. Now that you speak about it, I seem to remember this because I'm sure I played F-Zero X on the 64. Um, okay, so... Is this a fair mechanic for the the players still involved in it? I mean, no. I I think, uh, I think it works, and I think it's very very funny. And the reason why, because it's invo- it's in a way, it's pretty much the blue shell mechanic, visualized differently. I think the reason it works, and maybe the reason it seemed less unfair, at least among my circle of friends, is because the person who's doing it is not actually in the game anymore. It's kind of just an element of funny stupidity that's going on. I mean, the chances of you pulling it off are so rare. Um, but when it does happen, you can't help but laugh at the fact that the person who's not been playing for the past 10 minutes has, while hammering X in the corner, just blown you up. Um, and it's totally luck-based. And I think it works because it's about audience participation and that kind of bringing people together in the party atmosphere. And I think it works because it is not that important. Uh, I think the blue shell mechanic doesn't work because Nintendo have used pure luck, incredibly unfair pure luck, to stop someone who is skilled doing winning, basically, uh, and giving, therefore, the advantage to another player. And that is why it's a annoying mechanic. You can't allow the luck of someone else to utterly undermine the skill of the person that is better. Um, I, I know that... I know that, in, like, the reverse, people, a lot of people aren't happy with, like, the killstreak approach of Call of Duty because it allows a person that is skilled to get a bonus of infinite death tanks and helicopters that makes them even more skilled and therefore unable to help other people you know, get a leg up. But if it works, I think it works because that it's not about giving someone a huge unfair advantage because that person's already lost. It's interesting what you said about Call of Duty there. In that I did read something recently that said the the better you get at the game, the more experience you get, the more handicapped you should become. 
and this is a normal system in every other sport, and multi- people is. do think of multiplayer games as a sport. They do. Yet they, they, I've never seen this done, where the better you get the game, the more handicapped you become, thus making the game always level. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's, you know, there's good matchmaking tools in games, so they make people that are good alongside other people that are good, um, and not just put them on a the public server, they can just dick of everyone is rubbish. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting because the, f- the kind of the feedback loop of Call of Duty is, I'm good, and because I'm good, I'm going to get even better. Uh, and now I've been even better, you've now just given me a skill that lets me see everyone on the map. And now you've just given me an airstrike. And I think at the extreme end, if you're really, really good, they give you a nuclear weapon which kills everyone on the map and makes you win instantly. So Richard, you're sitting at your desk, it's a normal day. I am. Someone comes over and asks you to design a way of uh, a new mechanic that makes a, a multiplayer game even. Right. Would luck ever, like, would you ever entertain the idea of luck in your in your game? Do you think that there's a place for luck in game balancing? I'm not sure. I think that luck. If you were talking about like creating some multiplayer, if we're talking about something really fun and something party, I think that luck has a place. I think in this F Zero X example, um, in not in any kind of game helping way, but. Uh, Start the party that's recently got released by Sony that has an entirely luck based bonus round where we just pick someone and then they are able to just hiss about to the other players in some kind of amusing way. And I like that. So I think there is a place for luck. Um, Whether I can see luck as a way to help balance a multiplayer game, I'm honestly not sure off the top of my head. I think the golden rule is that luck should never affect a win or lose situation. Yes, as I was saying, yeah, I don't think luck and skill, sure, they can exist in the game, they can coexist in the game, but I think letting someone else's luck undermine and beat someone else's skill is where you get into the blue shell kind of annoyingness. Yeah, I agree. Look, like, the F0X example is a bit too extreme, but I think, yeah, if, if there's luck that allows you to just piss about and affect the game in in minor ways, F0X doesn't but in other games then that's fine that's that's welcome and if I get yeah if it's win or lose like the blue shell uh, it's it's too much, it's it's unfair if if you lose a, a race in Mario Kart you can lose for no fault of your own and through the luck of another yeah I think if we were going to use luck to help balance out some fictional multiplayer FPS we say let's say we're working on, let's say we're working on I don't know um, Ultimate Death Men 10. Uh, we're playing Ultimate Death Men 10 online. Um, I would certainly entertain mechanics about helping players that are losing the match, um, say, have more luck when it comes to maybe um, weapon drops. Uh, maybe when they do eventually do something good, their reward for doing good is massively superior to everyone else because you need to give them that leg up. Um, I think. Yeah, you could certainly have luck, more luck to do with like the way that you spawn them, the stuff that you give them, to help them still feel involved. And that can go as far as helping people to increase the luck of people that are doing badly to the extent that you give them really awesome guns, um, which the guy in chart, the guy leading might not have. The difference is I would never just say, you are losing, so I'm going to give you an item that now lets you just basically defeat the guy that's winning in one hit. Um, it's the principle of the blue shell I have no issue with. I think it's if you think about it, it's about giving the person that's losing a leg up, not letting the person that's losing just win. Should we do a conclusion? I haven't done a conclusion for weeks. 
do we even bother with conclusions these days? Uh, are we past know. that that phase? So, uh, okay, quickly in conclusion, because I like the idea of it. Okay, well, let's go, go with your heart. Is that luck is fine, but it shouldn't be in win-lose uh, situations. If luck is your core mechanic, you should invite the player to... You should open it up to the player through strategy in RPGs. Yeah. And luck can be fun to fuck with people. Yes, it can. Is I think. A, I think. For some reason, we've learned. Well, I think so. Once again, I think we've made a, an array of incredibly fascinating points. Kid. Well, that's all for this week. Um, if you want to get in touch, you can email at gamingbydesign at gmail dot com, or you can check out the blog gamingbydesign.blogspot.com. Uh, I don't know when we'll be back or what we'll be talking about. We only have two more podcasts to go, and we've already decided what we're going to do on the last one. We have. I'm excited by it. We just need to get number six out of the way first. Yeah, let's just do anything. So, thanks again for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.